From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Muscular dystrophy causes progressive loss of muscle strength, and people who have it are usually cared for by a neurologist who specializes in muscular dystrophy. Upstate has Dr. Deborah Bradshaw. She's a professor of neurology who cares for patients in the muscular dystrophy clinic, and I thank you for being here today with me. Thank you for having me. I think we hear um, muscular dystrophy, and if we don't have someone in our life who's got muscular dystrophy, we probably don't understand what it is. So how do you describe it? It's a group of disorders, not just one type, that are hereditary, meaning passed down in the family. And they can affect other parts of the body, but they primarily affect the muscles. And their main symptom is progressive loss of muscle strength. Okay. And that, um, you said there's a, a group of them. There's different mm-hmm. types of muscular dystrophy? Yes. And um, they're inherited in different ways. Uh, the most common form is Duchenne muscular dystrophy, and that is uh, uh, passed down in a so-called X-linked manner. So the gene for that is carried on the X chromosome. Male. Um, well, f- women have two X's, and men have one X and one Y. Okay. And because this is carried on the X chromosome, women have another X to make up for it, if you will, whereas men have only one X. So if there's a, a genetic error on their one X, it shows, in a sense, much more dramatically than it would in the women. So, so Duchenne appears is much more visible in boys than it is in girls. It is. Okay. Yeah. And it's you said it's the most common form? Yes. Of muscular dystrophy. So how does someone uh, learn that they have this disease? Typically? Usually, usually the diagnosis is in childhood, and um, typically the, the children don't progress as normally they should. They may not sit at the right time or certainly stand or walk. So those are called... Um, motor milestones, and those would be delayed. And so typically those would come to the attention of the pediatrician who would then refer uh, the child to a neurologist. So I was going to ask that too. Does it, It's usually a primary care provider who starts beginning to think something may not be right, and they they would just then um, refer to someone like yourself. For... Right. It would usually first come to the attention of the pediatrician And then the first very simple test that can be done to screen for it is something called a CPK. It's a blood test. And people with muscle disease, uh, you could say, leak this um, enzyme into their bloodstream. And so the CPK can be markedly elevated. So if you have a child who's weak or not progressing normally and has an elevated CPK, then that's, that's some muscular dystrophy until proven otherwise. And do you have to do other things to prove? Yes. So that begins a cascade of, you know, testing and evaluations. Um, In the old days, we had to do a lot of muscle biopsies, taking a piece of muscle, staining it, looking at it under the microscope to figure out what was wrong with the muscle. Increasingly, we use genetic testing right off the bat. You know, it doesn't require a painful procedure, uh, just a blood sample, or better yet, often a saliva sample. And the cells can be examined for, you know, genetic errors that that would explain the patient's weakness. Interesting, and and it's usually children, like you say. But are are there some forms that don't really surface till adulthood? Or there are. In fact, there are a number of forms that 
that show up either in young adulthood or even in midlife. So it's quite a it's quite a interesting and and complex range of diseases that we see in the MDA clinic. One thing that um, is a common misunderstanding is that um, people who come to the MDA clinic, that's muscular dystrophy clinic, all have muscular dystrophy. In fact, the MDA covers, MDA clinic treats a variety of nerve and muscle diseases, many of which are not actually muscular dystrophies. So, for example, another common disease that we treat is uh, Charcot-Marie-Tooth neuropathy. So that's a hereditary condition, not of muscle, but of nerve. So the MDA um, umbrella covers a a lot of uh, disorders um, of nerve and muscle, neuromuscular disorders, and the majority, but not all, are hereditary. So there are some other things that are autoimmune, like myasthenia gravis, that come under that umbrella too. And naturally the same specialists who would do muscular dystrophy would also take care of Yes. So within neurology, there's a specialty called neuromuscular disease, separate boards, separate training, extra training. And so neuromuscular specialists are the ones that um, that see uh, the muscular dystrophy patients. Now, what do you say to um, a family with a new diagnosis um, with of muscular dystrophy in a child? What, what is sort of today, what is the outlook for that child? Well, of course, it's a devastating uh, realization, you know, for parents to understand that their child has has a disease of any type. And neuromuscular disease, the muscular dystrophies are degenerative, meaning they get worse. Um, and many of them are associated with a limited lifespan. So that's always a very, um, very difficult experience for the family and patients to go through. But this decade, or this time, is, is really seeing a revolution in the care of patients with neuro, hereditary neuromuscular disease. So, so uh, we, can, we can reasonably be very hopeful and encouraging to patients who are facing a new diagnosis that, that things are changing, changing rapidly, and there's a lot of hope. I definitely have some more questions for you for you about that. Um, this is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Dr. Deborah Bradshaw, a professor of neurology at Upstate who specializes in neuromuscular diseases, including muscular dystrophy. Um, so once you have the diagnosis, how is this treated? Well, it depends on the diagnosis, of course. Um, the muscular dystrophies are the hereditary ones, and the treatment options are, are fewer. We do not have cures. Uh, In that group, we tend to work on physical therapy, occupational therapy, maximizing, you know, the patient's ability to function. So we have our, in our clinic, we have a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, um, who can see the patient and the family at every visit. They focus on, you know, what problems the patient is having in their daily lives, what things they're having trouble, whether it's going to school or working or even getting around the home. And then we try to um, arrange for support, um, whether it be, um, you know, uh, ankle braces or walk assist or, you know, in in the advanced stage, often folks um, 
need uh, power mobility devices or power wheelchairs that can greatly enhance the patient's ability to do what they need to do. So we, we try to focus on, once we have a diagnosis, we try to focus on helping the patient do as much as they possibly can. Mm. Now, there are other disorders under the MD umbrella that are treatable, treatable now not just treatable in the future. So myasthenia gravis is a good example of that. That's a condition where the immune system attacks the muscle and causes weakness. And we have excellent treatments for that. And people can go into remission and lead normal lives now. Another example would be um, autoimmune muscle disease, polymyositis, dermatomyositis, where the immune system is attacking the muscle, causing inflammation. We can use uh, medications to suppress that inflammation, get a good return of strength and a good return of function. So the treatment depends on the diagnosis. Did I read about a drug being approved recently for muscular dystrophy, though? You did, and that's a big deal. Um, there's a, a drug now that's FDA-approved for Duchenne muscular dystrophy, and it was approved in... Um, based on fairly limited data on a fairly limited number of kids. But what was striking is that the drug, so um, let me back up just a little bit. Duchenne muscular dystrophy causes, uh, is associated with a failure to produce a certain important protein in the muscle called dystrophin. And um, this drug, and, and boys with Duchenne muscular dystrophy, create no dystrophin. If you if you look at their muscle under a microscope and stain it for dystrophin, there is no dystrophin whatsoever. And that's sort of, it's a, it's an architectural protein. It's, it makes the muscle strong. And so without that, the muscle gets weak. With this drug, boys started making dystrophin. So that's just wow revolutionary. Mm. We do not we don't know yet how much is going to affect the function of the boys, but there's some, there was some early evidence that it helped them walk longer, walk further, actually function better. So that, you know, that's a revolutionary. Um, it, it's a, it's, it's a huge turn of events. So, and then there's a whole class of drugs similar to that that they're using to apply to a lot of different genetic disorders. So. So there's going to be a lot of uh, change in you know, the near future very quickly, and some of these disorders that were previously thought to be untreatable are, are going to be treatable now. So it's a genetic um, disease. Are, are we looking at genetic fixes? Yes, actually patches, if you will. So they've figured out a way to, to deliver medications that go in and sort of patch the genetic error and make it, uh, we haven't been able to make them go away completely, but we've been, been able to make certain uh, types of them less damaging so the body can uh, function better. So yes, we're talking about genetic fixes. And the really big thing that's happening, I was just in the MDA uh, clinical conference in Washington earlier in the spring, and you know, there was a lot of excitement because of Etepleson, the Duchenne drug, and others that are on the horizon. But um, the really stunning thing that I saw for the first time there was gene therapy for another disease that's under the MDA umbrella. It's called spinal muscular atrophy. 
you could think of it as it's a cousin of Lou Gehrig's disease, mm, okay. um, but it occurs in children and it's genetically based, whereas Lou Gehrig's disease generally is not. So this causes, um, and it's not the muscle that's the site of damage, it's the, the nerve cell that supplies or drives the muscle or the motor neuron. And um, spinal muscular atrophy uh, causes progressive weakness. Um, there's a, uh, the worst form of it, type 1, is seen in newborns, and uh, they have very little ability to move, to breathe, to suck, uh, etc. And their lifespan is usually two years maximum. So um, they have been working on something called um, gene therapy, and, and we saw evidence, video evidence of this at the meeting. So these children, they're using a benign virus, which doesn't reproduce itself, they're inserting literally the missing gene into this virus, and they give one shot, one injection to the infant as soon as possible after birth, and, and the virus delivers the missing gene into the motor neurons. And the babies are now growing. They're sitting up. Wow. They're standing. Some of them are walking, and these are children who would normally not survive the age of two. Wow. For yeah. you to be seeing video evidence of that, you had to, that must have blown your mind. To... It was spine tingling. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's so exciting. Are there complications that people with muscular dystrophy need to be concerned about? Definitely. And that's one of the main things that we do in the clinic is monitor for and, um, you know, help the patient um, get help for those complications. So common, common complications would be weakness of the heart muscle. Um, so most of our folks go see a cardiologist also. Uh, weakness of the breathing muscles, that's sort of a later manifestation. Um, sleep problems. So in patients with weak diaphragm lie flat to sleep, their breathing gets weak, and so they um, may not sleep well. Um, another thing that happens because of progressive loss of, of movement, the bones can develop weakness or osteoporosis. Uh -huh. So we monitor for that, and that's treatable. Um, you know, then, there, then there are the psychological complications, the social needs that arise from someone who's you know, losing function. So there are many, many things that we try to keep an eye out for and try to head off or help the patient deal with. So it's all sort of organized at the um, MDA clinic so that you have all those services available to... Yes, so we have what's called a multidisciplinary clinic, meaning multiple uh, specialists are there on site and see the patient all in one visit. It tends to be a long visit, but they don't have to ferry themselves all over the place sure. to see these people. The people sort of come to them. So we have social work, we have nursing, we have PT, we have OT, we have a respiratory and, and neurology and... Uh, so it, it works pretty well. Good to know. I, I really appreciate you coming to talk about all this. Um, my guest has been Professor of Neurology, Dr. Deborah Bradshaw. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.